Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, as we're turning there, it is confession time. The Bible says that confession is good for the soul. So, by show of hands, how many of you have ever fallen asleep while praying? How many did that? Look, see, there's no judgment here. People do that. It's kind of amazing, maybe tragic, maybe sad that you can lay in your bed and not go to sleep for hours thinking about yesterday or what you got to do tomorrow, but like two sentences into a prayer and you are out, you know? Uh, and don't feel bad about that. It's just that God is so comforting to our souls. And that's, that's why you fall asleep. A couple weeks ago, the students got back from fall retreat and they were sitting mainly here across these, uh, our, our high school students, not our college students. They were sitting here in the 11 o'clock. And I told them they had, they had stayed awake couple nights before they were really tired they got up real early to make it to the service and so we started off the service and I let them know I said listen if you fall asleep during the service I will not mess with you I promise I'm not going to call you out I'm not going to bother you and I kid you not five or six of them stuck their hands in their hoodies slouched down in their chair <laughs> closed their eyes they were like that is all we needed right regularly I'll have people come up to me and say pastor I'm so sorry I don't know if you noticed but I fell asleep during the service. And, and I will say, oh, I noticed. I can see you, all right? That's a, that's a thing people forget, is that I can see you as you are sitting there. And, and I tell them, look, you came in here exhausted, you came in here tired, but you came in here, so that's fine. Let's get to bed a little early next week and we'll do it again. But if you need to find rest in Jesus during this service, that's fine. The apostles famously fell asleep during prayer. They did. And now you might fall asleep and your spouse or your buddy or somebody may give you a hard time for a little bit. The apostles fell asleep and we get to talk about them for all of human history. But it's not that they fell asleep that we're talking about today. It's the conversations and the circumstances around their falling asleep and around that prayer that will teach us not how to stay awake while we pray, but what to do while we are awake. Let's pray together and then we'll read beginning in verse 32. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the ability to gather together as a church. I pray that our hearts would be humbled, that we would hear your words, that we would redeem the time. We thank you for our salvation and for the opportunity to accept you as our Savior. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. I'm going to read down 10 verses. Follow along if you have a Bible there. It says, Then they, the disciples, came to a place called, named Gethsemane, which is Olive Press. And he told the disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake or be alert. And he went a little further. He fell to the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, which is Daddy, 
All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And then he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Can you stay awake for one hour? Stay awake or be alert and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And once again, he went away and prayed, saying the same thing. And again, he came and he found them sleeping because they could not even keep their eyes open. They were so tired. They did not know what to say to him. And then he came a third time and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. The context of this story, what's happening before and after this story is interesting. The Lord's Supper, there's a conversation with Peter and the disciples, and then there's this prayer. Afterwards, he will be arrested, he'll be tried, and he will be crucified. So the context matters, but what's more interesting is the theme. Mark records three prayers of Jesus, three personal, private prayers, three times in which Jesus withdraws from the crowd and he prays, and this is the third and the final one. The first happens in chapter 1, the second in chapter 6. Interestingly, in all three occasions, Jesus spends the entire day ministering. Jesus is helping people and caring for people. He is exhausted. In chapter 1, Jesus ministered and healed people way up into the night, it says. In chapter 6, Jesus preached and taught on the hillside there on a plateau. And it was there that he fed the 5,000 or more people. Here, Jesus has spent the entire day hanging out with the disciples, teaching them the triumphal entry, the Lord's Supper. All that is going on before this prayer. Also, what's interesting is that after these prayers, after these times in which Jesus withdraws to pray by himself, there's a miracle. In chapter 1, he prays, he withdraws, he prays, and the next day he heals a man with leprosy. In chapter 6... He withdraws, he prays, and the very next scene is Jesus walking on the water and calming the sea. The first one is Jesus' power over sickness. The second one is Jesus' power over nature and power and strength. And the third one here is Jesus is going to withdraw, pray, and then be tried, crucified. But we know that the story doesn't end there. He defeats death with death. That is Jesus' power over death. And so just by the context, it is a weighty matter. Just by the theme that is going on, it is also a weighty matter. Mark wants us to learn something about what's going on around these three prayers. So that's what we're going to do today, and we're going to focus in on this, the third prayer. As I was studying this and I was thinking about this, it, it becomes somewhat of a, of a brain teaser, some sort of puzzle. Why is it that Mark is so detailed about the disciples sleeping and about Jesus's prayer? Mark wants you and I to draw some sort of conclusion between those two things being uh, melded or meshed or woven together. They slept, he prayed. So what do we need to know about that? What is it that we need to understand or study about it? One of the words that leapt off the page to me as I began studying this week was one simple word, our. H-O-U-R. I'm going to use that word in order to break apart the text, in order for us to put it into bite-sized pieces that we can understand and then apply to our lives. Look at the first. It is his hour or Jesus' hour. 
Verse 35, he went a little further, fell to the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. This hour that Jesus is speaking of is his hour of distress. This is a vexing moment for our Savior. He is in his humanity feeling the gravity of what is about to happen. He knows and he understands that he will give his life for the mission, that this is the hour, this is the moment, this is the scene at which he was sent to accomplish. He says in verse 33 that he is distressed and that he is deeply troubled. What we need to see is that this is no small thing. Somehow, throughout history and our being churched, we have grown accustomed, we're just used to, we're not even shocked anymore by the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It no longer registers that he was beaten, that he was scourged, that his beard was ripped from his face, that he bled, and that he died. It's this unbelievably chaotic, bloody, and gruesome scene that Jesus is walking with his face like a flint towards that cross. But it's not only the physical pain, the physical public pain, but it's also the emotional pain in which in that moment on the cross, Jesus has the entire wrath of God poured out on him. The consequences of your sin and my sin, of our sin throughout all of human history, the penalty of sin is death. And that death was poured out on Jesus. This is what is causing him to be deeply distressed. This is what is causing him to be troubled. And in his humanity, we see that. We see his prayer. Says that he falls to the ground, prostrate, just completely down on the ground, praying that if there was any other way that it would pass. We see his humanity. Very often in pastoral counseling and in just encouraging conversations, I'll hear you or others say something to the effect of, Pastor, I know that I shouldn't be scared of this. I know that I shouldn't be so sad, that I shouldn't be angry, that I shouldn't be anxious. This thing that is facing me, I know that I should be something other than the feelings that I am feeling, to which I would respond by saying, why? Why do you think that? We sort of imply that it is a sin to be afraid or a sin to be confused or a sin to be upset by what's happening or to feel anxiety. Jesus felt those feelings. It is not wrong that some circumstance gets bigger than you can understand and you begin to feel intimidated, that you begin to feel anxious, that you would even be scared of what's around the corner or in the dark or in the shadows. That is not wrong. It's not sinful. Jesus felt those things. It's what you do with those emotions, how long you sit in them. If something is sad, then you grieve. If something is unjust, then you are angry. These are right. Jesus prayed in his humanity. He felt these things and then he prayed. And the words that he prays, he prays that the cup would pass. That word of cup, God's cup, is an Old Testament Jewish way of talking about the wrath of God. It's talking about his righteous judgment. That those, the humans, humanity, creation has rebelled against the king and so he will pour out his cup of wrath which is righteous, it is just, and it is good. Jesus understands that what he's about to face, the sacrifice, the death that he is about to take within his person is to appease God's righteous judgment. And he accepts that. 
He marches forward in that. Jesus is the Savior who will accomplish those things. And it's not just that he is willing to do it, it's that he is desiring to do it. That's why he prays, not, your, not my will, but your will. He is going to do what the Father wants him to do. So just from this hour, just from Jesus's hour, from his prayer, then we see that Jesus is facing unimaginable pain, but that it is planned and that it is part of God's will. It leads you to the conclusion that for whatever reason that Jesus is going to do what he's about to do, it is worth it. Whatever the reason that Jesus is about to do what he is going to do, it is worth it. Tim McGraw is a country singer, and I know most of you know who he is. One of his more famous songs is called Live Like You Were Dying. Y'all know that song? That's the one where he rides a bull in eight seconds and uh, he goes fishing three times the year he lost his dad. That song, it's all about this idea that if you were to find out that you were gonna die, if you were to find out that time was limited, that you would live life like you were dying. You would live more fully. That song came out almost 20 years ago. And this year he released another song called Standing Room Only, which is essentially the same song. It's essentially the same song. He's talking about his funeral and he wants to live his life in a way that when he dies, his funeral has standing room only. All right, I think that's completely arrogant way to think about your funeral, but that's what he sings. That's what he's gonna sing about, right? Why would it be that somebody who's a mega country music star like Tim McGraw would release two songs that are essentially the same thing 20 years apart? Why? Because it sells. And you know why it sells? Because it hits a nerve. When we think about death, when we think about our life and the limited time that we have, we come to the conclusion that we don't want to waste it. We don't want to waste it. The the curiosity is just that how do I know that I'm not wasting it? How do I know that that I'm living like I'm dying? That I'm making the most of every single moment? One of my good friends, Steve Vesner, he's a pastor down in Houston. He once said, sometimes I joke about what I'd do if I, if I had one day to live, eat junk food, go crazy, etc. But today it hit me, Jesus knew and he washed feet. Jesus knew he was about to die. He knew that this was his last hour. He knew that the time had come. And the way that he lives that is serving others and giving glory to God. It's not wrong to feel emotion. But we need to leverage the moment, the hour for the good of others and the glory of God. At this point, we should pause for just a moment and ask you to consider that truth. Have you accepted Jesus as your savior, knowing that he went through unimaginable pain, that he took the penalty of death upon himself, knowing that he did that as part of God's plan And he did that willingly. He did that for you. When I said just a moment ago that whatever the reason that he would willingly take that kind of pain on himself must have been worth it, you are that reason. So have you accepted that? Just moments before Jesus prays this prayer that the cup would pass, he told the disciples, he took a cup that was part of this religious ceremony that they did every year. He took that cup, he drank from the cup and he passed the cup on and he said, this cup, it's like a blood promise. 
in that I will seal life for you. I will achieve and seal the promise of life for you. The cup that was anguish for Jesus is a cup of life for you. But have you accepted that cup? Romans 13, 11 says, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is near. Have you accepted Christ as your hero? Have you accepted what he accomplished in that hour? If you have, then I want to encourage you to consider their hour, the disciples' hour. We've looked at Jesus' hour and the anguish and the accomplishment that he makes in that, but I also want to look at their hour, the disciples' hour. Mark chapter 14, 37 and 38 says, And then he came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake for one hour? Can you imagine that? Simon is asleep in the cool grass of a nighttime garden. And the, the shock that would have rung through his entire body when he hears Jesus say, Simon, are you sleeping? Stay awake or be alert and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let me begin by saying this. I have a theological quirk, okay, as a pastor and a preacher. I have this little idea that runs through my head that keeps me from saying some things that sometimes you would want to say. Whenever we talk about Peter and the disciples, you'll often hear people talk about Simon Peter in a derogatory way or in a negative way. They'll say things like, Peter's always putting his foot in his mouth. Peter was brash. He was always saying things that he shouldn't say. And I just have a real problem with doing that. Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ, right? He's a hero of the faith. We ought to respect him and make, uh, make a big deal out of Peter. And I'm also, I'm also just worried about getting to heaven one day. And Peter's like, man, you guys really gave it to me for like, for like several thousand years. Okay, I messed up. Why do you got to keep bringing it up? So what I'm about to say about the apostles, what I'm about to say about Peter, I say with all due respect, I have no judgment. I'm not judging the apostles. I'm not judging you either. It says in, in verse 40 that they couldn't even keep their eyes open. In the same spot, we would have done the same thing. But with all that being said, with all due respect, one of the things that it showed us about their hour, that while they were sleeping, is that they were not taking seriously the words of Jesus. They were asleep because they were not taking seriously what Christ had said. Just before this happens, Jesus told him, told Peter, that he would be tempted to betray Jesus and that something was going to happen. He just told them, something is about to happen. And when it happens, you're all going to run scared. That's what he told them. But in verse 31, it says that Peter kept insisting, if I have to die for you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. That's what verse 31 says. And they all said the same thing. They all said, I don't care what happens. If it comes down to it, I will lay my life down for you. And a few minutes later, they're asleep. They were sleeping. Why? Because they were not taking seriously the warnings that Jesus was giving them. Jesus said that they would die, but they couldn't stay awake for an hour. They said that they would die, but they couldn't stay awake. In Luke, it says that when Jesus warns Peter, he tells him specifically, you need to be alert. It's the same word that Jesus keeps saying to them. You need to stay awake. Not the same word, same concept. Stay awake, be alert. Satan is after you. 
He's got a target on y'all's back, specifically yours, Peter. That's what Jesus just told them. And they fell asleep. As we all know, Peter is tempted to betray Jesus. And he falls, not once, not twice, but three times he is tempted and he falls to that temptation. He wasn't alert. He wasn't away. And it is sad and it is tragic and it is embarrassing for Peter. But Jesus does ultimately in love and compassion restore him in John chapter 21. And Peter learned the lesson. It's not bad to mess up. Listen to me. It's not bad to mess up. But it is bad if you don't learn from it. Peter learns from it. First Peter 5, 6 through 8, Peter himself wrote this. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Peter is telling us this simple message. Hey, the target that was on my back is now on your back. Pay attention. Don't be caught snoozing. Don't fall asleep on this because Satan is after you. And tragically, we don't. We're not alert enough about how the world is influencing our minds. We gorge on a steady stream of network news, YouTube conspiracy theories, and social media superficial wisdom snacks. We're not ever spending our time in Scripture. Instead, we just eat a bunch of junk brain food. Satan attacks friendships and other relationships through gossip, slander, filling the gap with distrust, and we feel justified. But we have to be mindful that Satan's lies don't only sound right, they sound holy and pious. When Satan lies to you, he will convince you that you are fighting for what is good, that you are fighting for what is right. He will convince you of that. So what is the answer to that? Be alert. Pay attention. Listen, we don't play games with a lion that has marked us as an enemy. You don't play a game with a lion that has marked you as an enemy. You might think you're smarter than that lion and you very well may be, but he has one thing in his mind and that's to kill you. And he is so, so much stronger than you. Don't play games with that. When Jesus gets back to them, this is important for us to recognize, he isn't mad at them sleeping. We read this story and oftentimes we walk away with the assumption that Jesus woke them up saying, hey, I'm about to go through some stuff. I'm in the middle of a storm and you're asleep. You can't be encouraging. You're not there for me. I've always been there for you. You're not there for me. That's the way that we sort of read this story, right? That's the way that I think Simon would have felt the moment that he heard his name in the middle of that garden. But Jesus doesn't chastise them for falling asleep because they weren't supportive. Jesus says to them in the most compassionate Jesus type thing you would expect him to say, hey, you're in danger. I'm not telling you to stay awake for me. I'm telling you stay awake for you. Pray that you won't fall into temptation. I know you want to, but you're weak. So pay attention. That's what Jesus' admonition to us is. Their sleep showed that they weren't taking him seriously. Their sleep revealed that they didn't value the time that they had, that they didn't realize that it was fleeting. Jesus is about to be killed. He knows it and he's told them. They're just not getting it. Time with Jesus is limited. I have to imagine that if the disciples knew what was about to happen in the next 12 hours, they would give anything to get that time back to spend every moment with him, every second with him, 
to hear his voice, to listen to him, to really memorize all of the things that he is teaching. But they were not getting what all of us should know, that time is limited. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story about a rich man who had all this stuff, had this big old house, 3,000 square feet, and he filled it all with junk. He had a three-car garage and he filled all that with junk. And then he went out and got storage units and filled all that with junk. And he thought to himself, I'm going to build some bigger storage units. I'm going to put all my stuff in there. Why? So one day I might want it. Does that sound familiar? And God says, you fool. Not in a bad way. God doesn't say bad things. You fool. Tonight, your life is required of you. We have so much rest in our stuff and what God is saying is like, look, you don't have even tomorrow. That's not promised to you. We sleep in the very same way that that man slept. We sleep in the same way that the disciples sleep, wasting our days away, doing nothing, not grasping what we should know, that time is limited. At best, you are given 70 to 80 years and that isn't much. You have friends for a season and you waste that time squabbling and fighting. You have your influence and your platform only for a moment and you waste it on frivolous pursuits. You are only a child. Listen to me if you are a minor living at home. You are only a child for a short period of time. And right now you have this amazing protection of parents who will mitigate the damages, all right? That's what we do. We know that you're gonna mess up. We just mitigate the problem, all right? We make it to where it's not the worst case scenario. And you are at schools and you are in social groups and you are in teams that are surrounded by people that do not know Jesus. Do not waste that time. You look up one day and you spend the entirety of your week around the same four people. But when you're a child, you have this opportunity to reach other people. You are a college student and a young adult only for a limited amount of time. It is very quick. And I know that you are busy and I know that you are stressed out and you've got all of this sort of, this, this weight on your shoulders. And I applaud you for the way that you are handling that. But at the same time, you have immeasurable energy that the rest of us lost, right? Eventually it just goes away. You still have that. You're also an adult with relatively speaking, fewer restrictions on your life. You're grown. All right, you're an adult. You can do anything that you want to do, but you don't have children. You don't have a spouse. You don't have a mortgage. You don't yet have a career. And all of those things are good blessings that will come. And I'm happy for them to come later. But right now, leverage the energy and the time you have that will go away for the mission of God. Listen, I'm telling you, pass your classes, but excel at the mission. You are only a parent of children for a short period of time. One day you look up, they're learning to walk. The next day you look up and they are walking down the aisle. Just a short period of time. Do not waste that time giving your children over to be parented by touchscreens and YouTube and a broken worldview education system. You are their parents. Be alert. Teach them. Love them. Encourage them. You are an empty nester and a retiree only for a short period of time. You are still healthy. You are still mobile. You are still sharp. And the difference is between you and the college students is you're seasoned. 
you know stuff. You know all this stuff. And you now have this new measure of freedom and time. Don't waste that on only spending it on RV trips to some canyon somewhere. Do that, but then spend the rest of the time leveraged for the mission. Move to some beautiful American city that is underreached and join some church plant and use your wisdom and your knowledge to, to, to spread the gospel in the kingdom of God. Make sure that your grandchildren are in church. If you have to drive down there and drive them yourself, you do those things. Don't waste the season. Don't waste the time. Because you look up one day and it is just gone. We could go back to the text and pick any other word. We focused on hour, we could focus on the cup, we could focus on distress, we could focus on sleep. But today, by looking at his hour and their hour, I want to challenge you to think about your hour. Will you give one hour? Now, when Mark uses the word hour, in neither case is he talking about 60 literal minutes. The hour that Christ was praying about would last several days. The hour that he talked about with the disciples was just a moment of time. Could you not stay awake? Could you not be alert for one hour? And so in that, I want to ask you, will you give an hour? Can you give an hour over the next week, over the next month? Over this next week, could you pray for 10 minutes a day? Just 10. Now I know that's 70 minutes, and that's a little more than an hour, but it's an hour. Could you pray for 10 minutes? Could you serve in your church's children's ministry or student ministry or college ministry or, 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 or first impressions? Could you serve for one hour a month? Just one hour. How much do you make in an hour financially? Now, if you're salaried, you might have to do like math later on and, and nobody likes math, but you can do it. How much do you make in one hour? So let me ask you this. What if you thought about your work week? 40 hours, 50 hours, 60 hours, whatever it is that you work. And you figure out what that one hour is and you thought to yourself, the last hour of Friday, that last hour, I will work this hour and whatever money I make in this one hour, I will give to the mission and the ministry of Christ through the church. You may not give nothing. That would be what you start giving. Or you may give a lot. You give that much more. Well, you give one hour. Will you take an hour over the next week or month? Would you make a weekly hour appointment with your family? Or maybe with your close friends, your small group, something like that. You sit down for one hour. You schedule it. You put it on your schedule like it matters. You schedule a meeting with your boss. You don't miss the, the meeting with your boss. And you don't even have to put lunch down on your schedule. And we all look like we're not skipping that one. You schedule it down and you do it. Same thing with your family. What if you said, this is the hour we spend together and I will make it like I will make any other appointment. Your spouse, kids, uninterrupted. Let me ask you this. Will you give an hour? Because time is so fleeting. It goes so fast. So let's listen to what Christ says in that, in his teaching. Let's listen. Let's pay attention and let's give that hour. We have at our house a basketball arcade game. 
It's one of those games that uh, it has the two goals and you shoot the, bass, or the ball and then it rolls down the deal and you shoot it again. You can set timers to it, stuff like that. Me and the boys will play this game. Uh, Amos and I uh, played yesterday or the day before or something like that. And you can um, set all kinds of things on it. You can play one player, two players. One, each basket's one point, two points, three points. You can set it for 60 minutes or 60 seconds a minute or a minute and a half, that sort of stuff. We like to play for one minute, three points, right? Because it feels like you've made a lot of baskets, right? So three minutes, one versus one, one on one. That's what we like to do. And I've noticed there's a pattern though when we play that game. We all start off, it doesn't matter if, if two of them are playing or I'm playing with any one of them, we all start off working on our shot, on our form, right? Because if you can get it just right, if you can pick up that ball just right, it'll just go in every time. There's something cool that feels about that, right? Just your little timer thing goes up. You can do it just right. You're working on the form. But then time gets short. The time starts to run down. The, the, the sound starts to make a different sound. And so then I'm not saying cheating happens, but cheating happens, all right? All of a sudden you're blocking out all this. Feet get stepped on. You pick up all of the basketballs and you shoot, you know, that sort of thing. That sort of stuff happens because time is running out. And then, then every single time it'll get down to 10 seconds or, or 15 seconds and you'll see that you're neck and neck. And then every time, we just start screaming and going crazy. We're just chunking the ball like this, you know, and we're hitting and, and screaming. And it's just like, because why? Because time is running out and there's nothing else to do. It's time. You, got, you only got 10 seconds. It's, you got to go. In some sort of crazy way, that's how we live our lives. It's like you start off fine, but then you do whatever you can to get ahead. And then when time is running out, you just scream and go crazy. Just try to make some sort of difference. Just fight, claw, and regret. So I'm encouraging you in this way. Don't play games with the time you have. We all have the same amount of time. It just matters how you're going to use it. Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.